Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Material Issues. Believe it or not, this is episode number 42. I'm Mark Hirschberger of Pop Detective Records here in South Jersey. And joining me, my good friend from the West Coast, L.A. area, David Bash of the International Pop Overthrow Festival. David, how you doing tonight, my friend? Doing well, Mark. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's cold, rainy, ugly, nasty here in South Jersey right now, but uh, as opposed to last week when it was in the 70s. But it makes for even a better night to stay in and have a great interview with a great guest this evening. So indeed, uh, it's, it, it's actually in the it's sunny and in the 70s here right now. But now we flip flopped. That's not too unusual for uh, for here in Southern California this time of year. So. Indeed, indeed. So show us your new watch because we've got some. We got a couple of nice watches. Happening. Oh, yeah. Well, we had to talk about this. This is my new uh, Tufina Theorema German German watch. The whole skeleton face, uh, the sunrise, sunset. It's just uh, a real nice, real it's nice beautiful. watch. It came I, in from Germany. I'm thinking of possibly making it my next purchase. There you go. I, I highly recommend a beautiful watch. But I have one as well. But for some reason, I'm doing a badge. This is the Accutron 60th anniversary of the Space View, which they put out originally in 1960 as the first tuning fork watch nice. uh, to ever exist. Uh, it didn't click. It didn't tick. It it didn't uh, sweep. Um, it just smoothly went around, and you could hear it hum. And so this is the 60th anniversary edition. It's a skeleton as well, as, nice. as were all the original space views. This one has something called the electrostatic movement. Don't ask me to try to explain it. That's why but, the hair is standing up on your arm. I know, I'm because I'm excited. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. We've got there some we really go. happening watches on tonight. And yeah. we'll do a watch check every week. There uh, we go. There we go. Yeah, we're that's really that's sure. fun. Yeah. Um, as far as IPO goes, we, um, I've added a, a city to our, our itinerary. San Diego, the first nice. time since 2016, will be back on July uh, 8th and 9th at a really cool venue called the Black Cat Bar. So we're looking forward to that. Um, of course, uh, as I mentioned before, we have Phoenix coming up in April, an uh, early April, followed by uh, Chicago for nine days at the end of April and then Liverpool for eight days a week uh, wow. at the Cavern Club and Cavern Pub. That'll be in the in mid-May. Then we have San Diego and L.A. in July. We've got Vancouver at the end of August into early September. And we have Arlington, Texas in mid-September. Wow. So, yeah, I've got a bunch uh, lined up. I'm I cooking good. Yeah. So it's all looking good. Um, there are some bands who are still a little bit uncomfortable playing uh, in in this environment. COVID is not done. Uh, it's certainly dissipating, thankfully, but it's not done. And, you know, a lot of bands are just not comfortable yet. And I, I totally get that. Um, I think for us, it, it, you know, the clubs that we've used, uh, they required Vax cards to get in, and that made a lot of bands very comfortable, as well as uh, patrons. And as far as I know, nobody got sick. Yeah. Uh, nobody yeah. got COVID from attending any of the shows. So I think things are okay if the clubs handle them well. 
Um, and, and, you know, it, it won't be any different in uh, the cities we're going. So should be well, great. It was nice. I mean, you know, Philadelphia just opened up, uh, you know, the mask policy. And I was just at Gilbert O'Sullivan uh, oh, yeah, two, nights, yeah. two nights ago. And um, he just put on a great – he played for two hours just himself and uh, his guitarist. Uh, I forget the, guy, the guitarist's name, but he had toured with the Kinks for a while. So the, the guy was really good. Um, but um, yeah, two hours of Gilbert. Of course, you didn't have to wear the masks. And it was, it was kind of nice uh, to be comfortable for once. So um, yeah, you'll, you'll see him out at the Mint in LA for his show. You'll you'll love it. He'll love oh, no, it. no, I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, man, it was a great show. And uh, we're, we're certainly looking forward to speaking with our guest uh, this afternoon slash evening. Um, the guitarist, the lead guitarist of an absolutely iconic a pop rock band uh, called the Smithereens, and uh, I, you know, both Mark and I have been huge fans of this band uh, for for you know many many years, and uh, they're still going strong. You know, uh, tragically, uh, their lead singer songwriter Pat Denizio passed away a few years ago, but they've had uh, Marshall Crenshaw and Robin Wilson and a few other people fill in at great times, and uh, it's still happening. Um, again, this man is responsible for the those uh, iconic guitar sounds that uh, that you know we'll never forget, and for writing <laughs> the most fun song that any band has ever done, White Castle Blues. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the two times that I saw them play, they performed it. So, uh, and you know, he he looked like he was having so much fun playing it, and I I, I just and I, I'll you know I have my own little White Castle story <laughs> there. But anyway, without further ado, would you please give a huge material issues welcome to Mr. Jim Babjack. Mr. Babjack, hey, nice Hello. to see you. Good Cheers, evening, guys. my friend. Cheers. Cheers! Good to have you on Material Issues, and uh, great to see that you're you're still rocking and, and about to head back out again and and play. And I'm going to be at the shows. Everybody's excited about it. I know we've gotten a lot of uh, texts and emails today about looking forward to seeing you on this show. And there's already people commenting and and check it in. So welcome, Amer America's band, as someone just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll go along with that. I've heard that. You know, you guys were showing your watches. I where I am, there's no clock or watch. It, it's actually always five o'clock here. <laughs> you know, if that works, then again, I'm in my bar, and, uh, and it's a great. Actually, it's a... Yeah, people might be wondering what I'm drinking, right? But it's um, hate to ruin my reputation, but it's uh, beet ginger turmeric juice from Whole Foods. Oh. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And that's that's just straight. You haven't watered it down with any ice either. No. That's hardcore. Just neat. Jim, I have to ask, because you and I, you're born in 57, I'm born in 58, Mark is born in 61, so we're all about the same age. Uh, I grew up in uh, first in Poughkeepsie and then in Rockland County, spent a lot of time in North Jersey. Um and I know that you and Dennis were, you know, best friends from from way back, and you went to a lot of record stores. Did you hit a lot of the Manhattan record stores in the late seventies? Uh, starting in nineteen seventy one, actually, uh, we would go to the Village. Um, nice. And uh, yeah, we we used to take the bus into New York from Carteret, New Jersey, 
it was very easy because uh, it was it was only 20 minutes away from New York. So we had it good. Uh, and that's where I got a lot of my, um, you know, back then I could get a, a mono kinks album for a dollar, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> it was great. So I built up my entire record collection by the time I was uh, 17, you know, so uh, and how were you funding that? I had a paper route. I shoveled snow. I did anything I possibly could to get the extra cash to go to record shops and 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 buy. What was your? I was a pimp and drug dealer. How about you? Was a pimp and drug dealer. Yeah. <laughs> no, we didn't have that much money, but I I did work uh, for my my dad opened up a tavern, and uh, so he'd have me sweep the floors and bring the beer up from the basement, put it in the cooler. So, you know, I probably got like. You know, I saved my money. Yeah. And a funny thing is I actually had a, a coin collection. And um, well, me too. So <laughs> I had these $5 bills with the red seal on it. And I, I remember making a decision. Uh, do I want this or do I want the Happy Jack picture sleeve? <laughs> so, oh, my God. <laughs> the picture sleeve won out. What oh, was yeah. your what, what would you say your favorite? Did you have any like twenty cent pieces and Walking Liberty half dollars and things like that? Uh, I don't remember. I had I had <laughs> yeah I had a lot. You know, I had uh, you know silver dot because you know people used to come to the bar, my dad's bar, and you know they and on their side they would rather have a drink than to have their. Uh, uh, 1921 silver dollar. So, <laughs> my dad would give me all the coins that he, the rare coins that he got at the bar. Oh wow! Wow! I wow. hadn't thought about that in years. <laughs> Glad well, you brought you it go. up. And yeah. uh, and you've spent and you spent a lot of time in banking, so you understand uh, some of the rarity and scarcity of the silver dollars and uh, a lot of, a lot of a lot of that coin wise, right? I don't know a damn thing about banking. Me neither. <laughs> I, I know. I, I've I, been I worked, in a few. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I worked uh, in an office for a while, but I, you know, the work I did had nothing to do with uh, finances or anything. And right. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I um, during COVID, I was working from home, and then uh, they decided to um, outsource my job to India. Yikes! Because uh, they figured, I guess people could do what I do from anywhere in the world and um, perhaps cheaper. So yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. It, you know, it, it, I'll devote more time to uh, playing and songwriting, which, Beautiful. you know, I did before, even while I was working, I had yeah. uh, plenty of vacation time. So, well, they want us, they want us to watch the, uh, you know, all that, the Russian hacking and whatnot. We can't stop robocalls from India, but we got to make sure we're not hacked by a, uh, Russia, right? <laughs> I just don't answer the phone. I know. <laughs> I'm lucky. You're lucky. I got. I, you know, you got through to me. <laughs> Jim, when was your first band, and and uh, what was it called? Um, it was 1971, I think. No, it was a little before that. Um, wow, probably really? 69, 70, and there was a band. The first one was called Cold Steel. And the other one was called Back to Earth. And uh, I remember we were doing, uh, they wanted to do Midnight At. We did Grand Funk songs. And I remember the, the leader of the band wanted to do uh, 
midnight hour and uh you know i was adding my own touch to it playing it the, the way i changed things around i didn't want to play it like uh, like a cover band or anything and he said that's not how the record goes and i said well you know i, I don't care that's the way i play it <laughs> so i ended up quitting that band but then i met dennis not too long after that uh, nice and he he's the one who got you into record collecting right because he was kind of a big record collector oh yeah he opened up my whole world and oh and the name of our first band uh with dennis was called what else uh after the who it was what else question mark <laughs> now how did and, you, and uh, how did you start as far as uh as far as your musical abilities did you did you start on guitar did you play piano early on uh, what what prompted you to, to 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 be a guitar player yeah outside of you know anything else in the 60s as far as the well, there was always music in the house my dad played accordion uh you know, I saw the Beatles on TV, and of course I wanted to play the guitar, but my dad got me accordion lessons. <laughs> and uh, and then I switched to violin, and then I finally got a guitar in 1969. So What was it? Do you remember what? Uh, Tisco. T-I-E-S-C-O. It came with a little plastic amp, too, from a place called Two Guys Department Store had it. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, the strings were really far away from the neck. It was horrible. <laughs> but, but, but when you learn on something like that, it makes a good guitar that much, uh, that much easier, right? <laughs> well, I didn't have a good guitar for many years, so I pretty much sucked for a lot of years. <laughs> uh, well, what was Carteret like growing up? I've been, I passed through it, but I can't say that I know much about it. Well, it's a hardworking uh, factory. It was a hardworking factory town. My dad, when he came to the United States, and my mom and dad, um, little side note, my parents are from Hungary. And uh, uh, it kind of sad what's going on right now in Ukraine because um, so after the Second World War, um, the Russians came into Hungary and and Czechoslovakia, Poland, all those countries, and um, they never left. <laughs> My grandfather had a um, a vineyard and a tavern. Wow! And um, they took it all away. So in 1956, there was a, a a revolution against the Russian tanks. They came in, and but back then they just had pistols and rocks that they used to throw at them. So. My dad, you know, growing up would tell me that my grandfather said, you know, um, there's no future for you here in this country. You have to leave. So my mom and dad and my uncle, who was 16, my dad was uh, 18. My mom was 17, uh, went across the border to Austria. And then we were in a immigration camp for for uh, two years. And I was born there in an immigration camp in Salzburg, Austria. Wow. Wow. So. Um, you know, they moved to Carteret. Uh, there was a lot of Hungarians in, in Carteret, so you got a, they both got jobs in factories. So, you know, it was a cool little town. They had a movie theater, um, uh, Jerry Lewis <laughs> Cinema, it was, uh, it was called. And um, there were no record shops, though, unfortunately. So Dennis and I had to go on our bikes or walk to, you know, another town. Uh, to get records and we did walk i remember when the imagine album came out by lennon 
we walked, I don't know how many miles to uh, a place called Corvettes. And then oh, it got yeah. really dark at night. So we had to call one of our moms. I forget who picked us up, but <laughs> it was like dark and we didn't want to walk on the highway. You know? <laughs> I think <laughs> I remember the I've been, I mean, I had one in my town in, in New City, New York, but I, I think I remember the one you went to also. <laughs> Corvette. Yeah, yeah, it was off the freeway. Yeah. I said freeway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we walked on the railroad tracks. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. What, uh, what, what were you playing records on back then? Uh, did you have like a little, uh, your own little uh, system? Was it your parents? Was it a dance set? Was it something? Cool on it those was a lines. piece of crap. De Dennis had a real, Dennis had a real stereo. I had one of those um, horrible uh, things with the with the top on it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like a mono mono thing, and uh, I, my parents bought me a stereo in uh, nineteen. Well, after I met Dennis, <laughs> I'm like, I got to get one of those. Um, <laughs> So I, for my, my birthday's in November. So what my parents did was they got me a combined birthday Christmas present, which right. really to this day really bothers me. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I got you know, the same thing. I was yeah. born December 22nd and I got my first stereo, which was the, it was like the uh, eight track tape uh, <laughs> record player, everything combined all in one big thing. And it was a combined, well, your birthday's three days from Christmas. Here's your, Here's your combined gift, but hey, at least it was a stereo. And uh, yeah, but they did get me. I had one of those faux little like Dan sets, uh, but it was faux Beatles. It didn't actually say the Beatles on it, but when you lifted the lid up, you could tell the four figures that they drew in there were the, were the were after the Beatles. But um, I wore that out so much that that the internal uh, wire started smoking. My parents had to throw it out, but I wish I would still have it to this day. But, uh, my uh, first, yeah. my first stereo was a. I actually had a Pioneer receiver. This was in '75. I had a Pioneer receiver, and uh, a, uh, I think it was a Gerard turntable and a, mm -hmm. but a Lafayette cassette deck. And uh, I, a guy who I who I promised to relay his his hello, Lee Tannenbaum, who was a friend of mine in high school. He came over really? and said, "I don't know about that cassette deck, David." <laughs> <laughs> Lafayette didn't quite measure up to Pioneer, but yeah, Lee's a good guy. He really yeah. is. He's, yeah, nice. Thank God for I, I I reunited with him through Facebook, and um, his band has played at International Pop Overthrow a few times, and uh, yeah, it's he's he's great. I think oh, he may join us later, actually. Oh, nice. um, as a well, not on on the air, but he may watch the program when he gets back. Um, so what else, um, meaning the band, not the subject, uh, did, uh, did Mike Maceros become part of that band or had you already uh, moved on at that point when you met him? Uh, no, Mike was uh, part of what else. Um, he, we, uh, he started playing bass around 1975. I, uh, um, well, he wanted to join me and Dennis. He saw that we were having a lot of fun, but he wasn't playing. He actually had accordion lessons at the same time as me with the same same teacher. So I knew him uh, from, uh, and we are we had our communion together back in 1964. Wow. Went to the same church, but uh, went to a different grammar school. But anyway, he uh, I taught him how to play. Uh, he bought a bass, 
a Rickenbacker bass and um, a used one. And I taught him how to play um, uh, I Can't Explain and uh, No Matter What and um, I think one other song. And then he went off to college and he came back after a, mo uh, a semester and he was playing like a pro. He had, I think he dropped out of school eventually because he was just playing bass all the time. And when he came back, he sounded like a combination of D.D. Ramone, Paul McCartney, John Entwistle, uh, James wow. Jamerson, all rolled up in one. And it was just incredible. He just, he became this uh, great bass player overnight, pretty much. Oh, wow. I think, and I think uh, Lee just joined us. He, he, was, he, he did, said, yeah. yeah. So highly. Yeah. But uh, early 70s, you're collecting, uh, you're, you're collecting, you're buying a lot of music. Uh, what what were some albums that were really, uh, really influential for you? I, you know, I've got, I've got some that I grew up with that I still hold dear to this day. But um, um, what, what were some, what were some things that really blew your mind in the early seventies collecting? Blew my mind. Everything blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, it was all brand new. You know, um, I, you know, I got. Uh, there's so many. I mean. Uh, you know Hendrix uh, live at uh, Monterey. You know the, just the way he played. Uh, you you know the band The Move. Um, oh, sure. I got this uh, 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 something else EP, and they it was live at the Marquee Club, and um, there was a song called Sunshine Help Me, and uh, the lead guitar on that just really impressed me a lot. The long jam solo on it, so I kind of learned how to play like that, and. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's not just the Beatles and the Kinks and the Yard, but the usual stuff. You know, I I uh, I, I like everything. I mean, uh, there's uh, who's that band that does uh, My Little Green Bag? I remember that single. Oh, George Baker selection. Oh wow. man, I love oh. that song. Oh. I got thousands of singles. I've been pulling them out lately. Colossus I, Records. Yeah, yeah. I play uh, I play uh, records every day. Vinyl in my house. My gosh, if, if there's a game show about, about records and music, I, I need to have both of you guys with me on my team. That was pretty good. <laughs> that that movie, P, by the way, was really rare at the time that you got that. I mean, it's been reissued now, but an original copy of something else at that time was, wow. Not, you not know that. how I got it. I got a bootleg eight-track of it first <laughs> until it showed up in Sam Goody's a couple years later uh, through... Uh, either the rock marketplace or I don't think gold mine was allowed bootlegs, but you know, those lists that you used to send away. Sure. Yeah. I sent away for that. It was pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> I love it. We had a question come in real quick. I wanted to cover it. They they're asking where the idea for sparks in the set list come from. <laughs> uh I wish I could remember. I uh, I used to do a jam uh, there with with the guys. Um, I I don't remember if it was my idea or not, but you know, Dennis and I used to play all that Who stuff in 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 my garage when we were still in high school. So yeah, I, I yeah, Live at Leeds was uh, a major <laughs> album for me. I uh, I studied it pretty well. Wow. No, that's, that's Speaking cool. of goldmine, Jim, that's how I found out about the, the Smithereens. Um, Dis Dumond 
if you remember them. They were a mail order company from Manhattan. Right. They had yeah, a copy. I've heard from them back in, in the day. Well, yeah, me too. And I used to go there every now and then because I was a student at NYU. So I would I would go, you know, Chris would let me come by and uh, I saw some really rare stuff. But this is um, this is the original Beauty and Sadness on Little Ricky Records, which I bought from Disc Dumont. Um, they had said they'd given you guys such a buildup. They, you know, so many, they mentioned Badfinger and the Beatles and the Who and all that stuff. It's like, how could I not? How could I not get this? So, <laughs> so yeah, so thank God for Goldmine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someone's asking what, what year was your first Rickenbacker? Um, 1980, I... My parents moved to Arizona, and I stayed in New Jersey. And then uh, all of a sudden, I was unemployed, and and the band had just started. So, uh, well, well, we just met Pat actually uh, to add, you know, and then we got together. I've always wanted a Rickenbacker, but could never afford it. I had uh, at the time I had a, a Stratocaster and a, a cheap SG, like one of those SG two hundreds, and. Uh, and a music man amp. So with my unemployment checks, <laughs> I went to Manny's in New York and got right. my uh, first black 12-string uh, uh, Rickenbacker that you see in the early, early photos. Right. That was yeah. that was the first one. I think it was 800 No, eight, I don't know why $800 seems to be the amount, but... Wow, that's probably about right. Yeah. Yeah, in, that, in that year... About eight hundred bucks or so, yeah. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, some asshole has that because I, <laughs> I, uh, what happened was um, my brother bought uh, the the red Rickenbacker that I have now, um, and I kind of took it from him. <laughs> He's seven <laughs> years younger, and I said, you know what, I really need that guitar, and uh, it's the one I used on Beauty and Sadness. It's pictured on the back cover. So I traded him. I gave him. A 71 Stratocaster. I gave him uh, my black Rickenbacker 12 string. I got him another red Rickenbacker from Rickenbacker. I asked them if they could uh, get me another one. So I you know, traded him a bunch of stuff for it. But unfortunately, his house was robbed uh, about 10 years wow. ago and, and somebody stole all his all of his guitars. Damn. So uh, that, that original 12 string I had is, is long gone. Who knows where it is? Oh, uh, wow. 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 Well, if, you, if you're the one who stole it, uh, <laughs> if you're watching you're that. the show right now, really, come on. <laughs> I don't think they'd be watching this. Pay it forward. So, okay, so from what I understand, you you guys met Pat through an ad that he put in the paper. He wasn't from Carteret, right? No, he's from a, a, a close by town, Scotch Plains. De Dennis answered. We we had an ad in the Aquarian, and Pat also had an ad at the same time. So Dennis answered the ad, and um, you know that's that's how they met. Yeah, the Aquarium was like my Bible back then. For for, for where shows were everywhere. My God, all through all through New Jersey, up in the New. I mean, I was addicted to the Aquarium. Yeah, what a great what a great rag. That was a great did, did did you guys immediately click? Uh, the yes. Oh wow, good. Uh, Dennis um, gave me a tape of uh, some demos Pat had, like uh, Elaine and uh, a couple of songs, and I uh, 
they didn't have solos in them. So, you know, I just made some up. And when I went to rehearsal, Pat was really uh, happy (laughs) that, uh, that I added all these parts to his songs. And um, so I just kind of uh, created a job for myself, I guess. Hmm. And uh, did that did that band that that the force from? Did you start off as the Smithereens? Uh, uh, you know, we kind of know where, where the name came from, uh, Bully the Smithereens, uh, uh, from the cartoon. But uh, or did you have other names you were playing with and doing some things before you became the Smithereens? Uh, not not for that band with Pat. I mean, Den- Dennis had a notebook, a uh, little pad with hundreds of names in it, and and the Smithereens just stuck out. Uh, Wow. So uh, Den- Dennis came up with that name. <laughs> you, you guys, I mean, you guys are, I, I would assume, are culturally, you guys were culturally simpatico also. You, you and I spoke about Quickstraw uh, on, on Instant Messenger. Um, and obviously Yosemite Sam was a blow you to smithereens. Um, did you guys like a lot of the same stuff, movies, cartoons? Everything, Mad Magazine, uh, music, just the whole culture of the 60s. And, you know, we were too young for Vietnam. And, uh, you know, for us at our age, it was just a kind of a different world when all this crap was going on with, you know, assassinations, uh, Robert Kennedy and uh, Martin Luther King and the riots. And uh, it's not that I was oblivious to it, but I was in the 60s sixth grade you know right uh, so you know the music was uh, yeah it didn't always reflect what's going on but it you know it was great music to grow up with I'll tell you that right. and 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 the tv shows too uh, you know we we're watching reruns of leave it to beaver little rascals three stooges all, all that great stuff all the all the tex avery influenced the cartoons uh I was a George the Jungle Super Chicken fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Breezley and Sneasley. Super Chicken, you know? Breezley and Sneasley, did you say? Yeah, you yeah I love it. The Wacky Racers just killed me. I love that kind of stuff. The Hill Mob. Pat Pending was my favorite. Uh, we could talk about this stuff. I right? know, Pat Pending. Uh, <laughs> well, I was a nerd, so of course yeah. I, liked, I liked the, uh, the smart guy. I was no Peter Perfect. Um, anyway, so you guys formed the Smithereens. Uh, where's your first gig? It was a place called Englanders in uh, Hillsdale, New Jersey, up north. And uh, I think Dennis has a tape of it somewhere. So. Oh, wow. Wow. I was just going to say, what's the earliest uh, taped Smithereens? But you just answered that question. The very yeah, first gig. Yeah. And were you Take doing out. originals right off the bat or covers? Uh, yeah, there was there were about five or six originals. Don't Want to Lose You was one of them. Elaine was another one that we ended up re-recording later. The others we just never re-recorded. Um, and then, well, I'm trying to remember. I, I'd have to look back at the tape. But I think we opened with Girl Don't Tell Me by the Beach Boys. I think that was the first song we played. Which is on the Girls About Town EP that I actually paid $75 for about 20 years ago. Um, I think it's worth a little bit more. It was a rare record. Yeah, oh, God, yeah, it was rare. I finally saw one 
I saw one at a swap meet out here um, in, in Los Angeles. And I was like, wow, I don't think I'll ever see one of these again. I'm buying it. So, <laughs> And you guys did a really nice version of Girl Don't Tell Me, I, I have to say. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so when does you know, the, Dennis when, gave a copy to Carl Wilson. And, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. I, I yeah. don't know if he liked it or not, but... I'm trying to hear you guys better. I think I have my volume all the way up, but um, are you not hearing us? Yeah, I don't know. It's this phone, you know. But yeah, no, we hear you fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll try to, I'll try to speak up. Get used by use my bold voice. Do you? Yeah. So when does uh, when does the Dirt Club start happening, and how how does that happen? Like you guys oh, pretty much had a residency there. Yeah, Johnny Dirt liked us uh, most of the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, their, their sound man didn't really like us. He always said that Pat's voice sucked. <laughs> so, wow. Um, uh, probably in 80 by 81, I think we were already playing there. Maybe even 1980, um, we might have been in there. And, uh, you know, so we play there quite often, probably every month. The Dirt Club was that was that Passaic? What is it? What? Where was the Dirt Club? Was that Passaic? It, no, Bloomfield. 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 Yeah. I think I, I, I think I saw you guys back then. Here, here's a, a short story. There was a band called The Colors. You might remember them. Yeah, I know um, the Colors. Uh, I was friends with Tommy Cookman, their lead singer, and um, their their manager John Oldham. And um, we went down somewhere in central Jersey to pick up their, their, their single had been uh, manufactured there. We went down, I drove them down to pick up the single, and then we drove up to the Dirt Club where they were playing. And I'm pretty sure that you guys followed them. But I did, at that point, I wasn't familiar with you yet. That's why I don't know 100%. But it just seems to ring true. Uh, did you, do you remember ha having them on a bill with you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. At least okay. twice, because I remember right, well, Clem Burke was Clem Burke was either managing them or had something to do with their producing yes, their did. record or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Sure. There's that great Dirt Club compilation that that you're on. Um, a lot of really good bands on that, but um, unfortunately, most of them didn't go anywhere. But but you guys did. So. Starting with when does momentum really start happening? When does it look to you like okay, maybe we could make a career out of this? I always felt that way from the beginning, and, and we seem to have always lose momentum. Like uh, I remember when Beauty and Sadness came out, and we got a three and a half star review in Rolling Stone, and I thought, okay, here we go. Maybe some record company will recognize it, but not a damn thing happened uh we went to sweden for about uh two months in 84 because they they put a they put out a, a swedish company called wire records put out beauty and sadness in europe oh, so we wow. went there to play in finland uh sweden and, and norway and still good press nothing happened so we were getting good press and um you know what it was just it was dead. Uh, Enigma Records was kind of new, uh, and um, Pat had sent a cassette tape to all the labels, and I have all the rejection letters from everybody. 
Whoa. you know, including Stiff Records and uh, some of the smaller labels. And um, uh, there was a guy there that uh, was a college DJ and he saw the name of the Smithereens and he recognized it from the Beauty and Sadness day. So he popped it in, gave it a listen. And on that was Blood and Roses Behind the Wall Sleep. The recordings that ended up on the first album, these were the um, unfinished masters before Don Dixon came in to, to finish it. So it was the raw tracks. And it's funny that all the labels, um, you know, passed on those two songs, uh, which were the two biggest singles from that. that uh, right. So it goes to show you, I don't know, they, they can't really... <laughs> <laughs> What does it they show you? The right? doing. I mean, it shows you that people at labels can be morons sometimes. You think? <laughs> There's a couple. There's a couple. Well, actually, they're not morons because they're the ones that made all the freaking money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. If you want to look at it, look at it that way. But uh, as far as far as just the music is concerned, I mean, Blood and Roses, you know, my God, uh, and and they pass on a track like that, uh, which uh, it, it played itself out as far as being, uh, you know, a great a great track. And uh, um, but you know, getting there, we we've talked, we've interviewed a lot of uh, you know artists from the '60s, '70s, just how they got signed and what they. We always love the stories because. Almost to a man, it's like, well, we walked into the label and we said, here, and they went, we love it, we find you, which, of course, doesn't happen anymore. Um, did so it even I, happen in the 80s? I mean, were you, could you have done that? Could you have just walked into a label and said, here's our stuff, sign us? No. Uh, and and uh, Pat actually went after a Swedish tour in 84. Uh, Pat went over to England. He flew over to England with a bunch of our Swedish copies of uh, Beauty and Sadness and went up to, uh, uh, I think, Rough Trade or, or uh, some some labels in, in England. He was actually able to get in the door, but they all, all passed on us also. That's really amazing. Because so, they, they figured, you know, he came all the way from America. I might as well talk to him. <laughs> but, might as well listen to him. Uh, and why do you think why do you think that really is? Because I mean, it eventually worked out differently. But you know, was was it the sound that you had at the time, or, uh, as opposed to what was going on? Uh, Absolutely, I, I didn't think we would get it. You know, I would have been happy just to put out an album and have yeah. some people like it. But if you look at the charts, it was Michael Jackson, Madonna. Uh, synthesizer right. music, uh, you know, we didn't fit in at all. And, and exactly. I guess yeah. That's why, that's probably why the record, you know, partially, par partially uh, one of the reasons is because it was so different and um, not knowing that it was kind of the start of the alternative movement, which I didn't know what the hell alternative was until I went to a record store on the first tour and our records weren't under the rock section. It was under alternative, which I never heard of before. With REM and bands like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Strange alternative style. rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm glad uh, people liked it. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, so you, you are with Enigma and they put out, uh, they, they, they put out especially for you. Um, how is the, how is the, the initial reaction? Uh, Wow, it, it exploded. Um, you know, uh, a major station here, WNEW, uh, picked it up. 
and and then it snowballed from there because a lot of other radio stations in the country were kind of following their lead so it was like a snowball effect or, you know and um mtv also because yeah. we got lucky the, the song ended up in a, in a movie soundtrack called dangerously close and even though the movie didn't do well they paid for a video and uh, we flew out to california to do this video and mtv picked it up and it's it's just that's where the momentum started actually right. uh between the new york radio stations and and mtv and um yeah and then, that, it just, was, then it just blows up and then, then your world becomes uh uh really bigger then as far as uh what what you're going to what you're going to do as far as playing live and promoting and it gets it gets real busy i, I would assume right? oh yeah and then we were on the road for 18 months because again we we started <laughs> and then we got signed to premier a booking agent which was probably the biggest agency in the united states at the time they had uh springsteen tom petty the who uh, they had everybody and they had the Ramones. So the, uh, the direct agent for the Ramones came to see us in CBGB's and signed us right on the spot. So, um, he, his name was George Cavado who passed away years ago, but, uh, he was instrumental in, in getting us on the road with the Ramones and, um, which was really cool to spend three weeks on the road with those guys. Um, you can only imagine. <laughs> I, I thought their, their their crowd would hate us, but they actually loved us. And actually, after one of the shows, Joey says to us, he goes, you guys are good, uh, maybe a little too good. You guys are off the tour. <laughs> of course, of course, he was joking, you know, yeah. but uh, right. he, he was a good champion of was ours. It, was this the tour where you played the Roxy? Because uh, my friend Mark and I came and saw you guys at the Roxy. And uh, just a little story here, by the way. Um, we had heard we had heard you guys do "Don't Talk to Strangers" on a, on a radio show. We thought it was one of your originals, and we kept screaming out for it. You couldn't hear us because we were too far back. Um, you didn't play it, but uh, about a year later, I bought a Bo Brummel's Greatest Hits record, and suddenly. I'm, I, I'm not looking at the titles. I'm just kind of sitting a, away from the turntable. And then I hear this song. What the hell? <laughs> I thought that was a smithereen song. Well, you know, back in the, back in the, before we were signed and we'd play the Dirt Club and, and Kenny's Castaways in New York, we, we did a lot of uh, covers people thought we wrote. You know, uh, we did quite a few Bo Brummel songs besides that, you know. Um, oh, I can't think of the titles right now, but you yeah. know, when we did songs by the birds that believe it or not, people didn't know what uh, I'll feel a whole lot better. They thought that wow. we wrote it. Wow, yeah. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> well, See, we, did, we didn't pick the hits, you know, like, like the yeah. big hits from the 60s, we did kind of, you know, what we liked. Yeah, sure, yeah, uh, that's awesome. Uh, um, as far as uh, as far as your your the first video for Blood and Roses was that the first the first video that you did? Uh, the first one for MTV, yeah. First one for MTV, and, and you you filmed that in in uh, the West Coast, LA, or, or or on the East Coast. 
No, it was in L.A. and they used the high school. It was a high school that they used for shooting movies. And, and um, they had told us that uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was filmed there. So I said, oh, OK. Cool. Oh, yeah, very yeah. cool. I worked in that built in that building where the Galleria Mall was right after the movie <laughs> was filmed. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Um, God, I want to ask you. Um, so, all right. So, so that album obviously gets you off to a great start, and then you have Green Thoughts, which is my favorite Smithereens album. Yeah, great album. Um, if if the sun doesn't shine, it's probably my favorite Smithereens song. So beautiful. Um, yeah. uh, so, and I think I saw you at the Coach House on that tour. Um, had yeah. I, I I don't know. I, I probably remember these shows more than you because you played so many of them. And I only played a couple of them. A lot of shows. <laughs> no, we we Dude. still play we still play the coach house. We oh wow just just about every year. We we were there um I think last year. <laughs> oh wow. Wow. Yeah, I don't I don't live near there anymore, but um Oh no wonder well, I didn't see you there. Yeah, <laughs> really. Come on. Um well, you so got, when, did you write, when did you write White Castle Blues and when did you start doing it? Uh, a good friend of mine, his name is Bob Banta, he he would write lyrics. Um, they were all kind of like one of them was called Zip the Pinhead Girl. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, just all these silly songs. So he gave me the lyrics to White Castle Blues and I didn't really think anything of it, but I was off from, I, I had, I couldn't work because as I was a bartender at that time in, in the late seventies and uh, drinking age was 18 back then, by the way, in yes. New Jersey. So um, I was sick. I had a fever of 103. I'm laying in bed and next to my bed on the nightstand, I had his lyrics. And then for some reason, I don't know why I picked up my acoustic guitar and I just started playing the first thing that came to my head and it, it matched with the lyrics. And then I went back to bed and luckily I remembered it later on. And then we started doing it with what else mm. <laughs> and just as a goof. And we even did it as the smithereens before we were signed. And then when we did our first album, um, well, we recorded half of it already. And then Don Dixon came in and, fixed uh, we added stuff to those songs and recorded another six and we had a little time left and don said um hey wh why don't you uh, put down that hamburger song of yours <laughs> so I, I i said okay well we'll give it a shot so we we did it in one take and and that was it i didn't get a chance to like redo the vocals or anything it was just uh, you know it was just for fun so i i never thought it would end up being anything so, well, so for, for good hamburger, I'm just going to say, I want to make sure people understand what White Castle, because if, right. they, if, they, if they don't know what White Castle and what, why they talk of White Castle Blues, White Castle being a iconic hamburger chain, uh, so to speak, um, that <laughs> I don't, don't have do you... them out here, but they are in Vegas. Are and they in Vegas? I, I did have to partake one time. So 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 let, let me get this right. Because you had a fever... You are now in the White Castle Hall of Fame. And and that's only fitting because, you know, a lot of people got sick eating White Castle burgers. Me among oh. them. 
Well, I love them. Don't get That's because you ate too many. But I ate yeah. too many because somebody dared me. I bet you can't eat 10 of those little square things. And I said, yes, I can. And I did. And Always had just the right amount of onions on it. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I love it. Jim, we got a question that just came in. It said, when are we going to see the Lost album and the new one with Robin and Marshall? There's well, a good the Lost album. Uh, uh, back in 1993, we uh, we were dropped by Capitol. And, uh, and then we decided to just start recording. We went into a studio and recorded everything we got. And uh, we ended up with two albums worth of material. And then we got, then we were signed to RCA and record, re-recorded half the songs, which became Date with the Switherings. The other half, we kind of forgot about, but we have it, we have it on tape. So we're going to put that out probably, I'm hoping this summer. Cool. Excellent. And then uh, as far as Robin and Marshall go, I'm, yeah, I'm writing with both of them. And uh, I'm trying to get Susan Cowsill to write with me also. I've been going back and forth with her because I have a song for her in mind. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, I don't know when that's going to happen, but it, it's going to happen. It's going to uh, happen. Sure. All right. Stay tuned. Stay tuned to, uh, I get, everybody can get uh, information. I was popping it up here. Officialsmithereens.com. I think that's the... Uh, the website, uh, will, yes. will, that, will that even be listed there, anything you do? Or is there another place that people can can keep up with uh, anything you got going on? Well, yeah, that and our, our Facebook page, the, the Facebook fan page. page um, uh, you know, the, the main Smithereens uh, Facebook page. Uh, I wanted to say, Jim, um, Now and Then is one of my favorite Smithereens songs. So thank you so much for writing it. Well, someone nice. just asked a question there. David said, well, what now and then. There you go. for now and then, and who was the girl in room 12? Yeah. Wait, was there a question there? I didn't hear it. Yeah, it yeah. said, what was the inspiration for now and then, and who was the girl in room 12? <laughs> well, Pat wrote girl in room 12, so I have no idea who that was. <laughs> um I'm sure his wife didn't like that one, <laughs> but uh, now and then wasn't about anything in particular. I, I just, uh, it's just made up really. Um, although some of it is about somebody, but I, I can't really say right now. Um, maybe it's some other time, but uh, um, I, I wrote that pretty quickly, the lyrics, because I, I had the music first. And I was hoping that Pat was going to help me with the lyrics, but he, um, he, he, you know, he was still working on other lyrics and didn't have the time. So, and we were already recorded the song in the studio. So uh, I had to finish the lyrics up real quick. So one night, you know, before I went into the studio, I finished the lyrics and showed it to Pat and uh, his jaw dropped. Then <laughs> I said, here it is. You know, let's do it. And in the meantime, uh, Dennis and I had seen the cow sills in L.A. opening for Screaming Trees and Red Cross. Wow. And I went backstage and introduced myself. And I said, I, I already have the background vocals in my head for this new song that I have. I want you guys to sing on it. And, and they did. Wow. Um, and it was it was fabulous. And, I, I want to use it again on, on the next album. Um, what's that? I want to use the cow sills again on a song I have uh, 
written for the new Smithereens record. And oh, I know Pat, I know Pat was a uh, was a Buddy Holly fan, and someone just came up with a question, which which I wanted to know as well. Uh, who came up with the idea for that song, Maria uh, Elena? Uh, which is oh, that was Pat. And, that was Pat. Yeah. And, and we 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 yeah, I've lost touch with her, and I I heard she's not really doing well. But you know, we were friends with Maria Elena at, at that time, and she really loved the song. She came to see us perform it in uh texas on a tour i, I remember she uh, ended up in my hotel room it's not what it looks like <laughs> yeah, but it's there. a great story already go ahead <laughs> i was there with her daughter i was there with a dj called Redbeard from dallas and um <laughs> and i think dennis or mike and we're we're you know just talking and she's telling stories it was just a great night it's got to be surreal that's got to be just surreal it I was mean, surreal to have her in my room drinking my scotch, <laughs> and she she loved scotch. So. Well, they learn something every time we do this show. Maria Elena loved scotch. I'm a huge Buddy Holly fan too. I, I'm a monster Buddy Holly fan. So that's a great. That's I, I have a I have a great Pat story I want to share with you before we run out of time. Um, he was doing, as you may recall, he was doing a lot of house concerts in L.A. Uh, in the early part of the new millennium. And um, this is before Severo was your bass player, I think, but they had already become friends. And he did a house. He, You're welcome. He did a house show um, at Severo's house. And we're, you know, about 20 of us are there. And, you know, he's playing. And I'm, I'm sitting on the floor and I'm kind of reclining. And in the middle of whatever song it was, Pat comes up and he straddles me while he's playing. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, the most action I've had in a while. Um, and um, at the end of the song, he he asks, he, he asks, so any requests? And I say, please play Tracy's World. And he's still straddling me at this point. And he looks down, and in his best uh, Marlon Brando voice, he says, "This I cannot do." <laughs> That's. Uh, I didn't, you know, I, I wish I'd gotten to know Pat a little bit better. He did play International Pop Overthrow once. He also came to some of our shows at Kenny's Castaways. Uh, what, I mean, what do you take away? Uh, how, what do you take away from your, your time with Pat? How would you sum him up? <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty deep. I mean, well, um, yeah, he, you know, he, he, he you know, he was a guy that, uh, you know, wrote some great lyrics and had a, had a great voice. And we just, you know, it just fits so well. You know, uh, the, the three of us, you know, playing together for, well, Dennis and I, you know, nine years and then Mike for like a good five years. So when we met Pat, we, we already had a sound. But, you know, with his voice and... Um, it was just uh it's 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 magical when when stuff like that happens um and um i don't know he had a great sense of humor uh he was also in on that whole mad magazine and uh Adam's <laughs> family and all that that stuff and you know we would go to movies together remember when they re-released the hitchcock films rear window and all that because they hadn't been seen in a while we went to the theater to see that and we went to see a movie called uh, Room with a View, and I remember him saying, that's a good title for, for a song, but he, well, he changed it to Room Without a View, but yes. 
you know, stuff like, you know, so much stuff has happened on the road and, and in his life. And I mean, we've known each other for, you know, what, 30, 38 years. Uh, so, um, and highly respected, uh, because you look at the, the, the tribute, uh, show that was done in two, 2018, I believe. And, you know, the people that were involved, um, you know, just a, a who's who of, of, of quality people. So, I mean, that's, that's a tribute. Yeah. It was, uh, a real tribute. Yeah. And you guys got, you guys got elected to the New Jersey rock and roll hall of fame, which had to be a thrill, huh? Yeah, yeah, it, it was quite an honor. <laughs> and I read that you were rated uh, New Jersey's eighth best guitarist of all time or something. <laughs> who were the yeah. first seven? <laughs> who, who was what? No, I was laughing. You, I, I read somewhere that you were the number eighth best guitarist in New Jersey as voted by the uh, Asbury Press or something. And I was like, well, I wonder if Jim knows who the top Seven more. Well, Springsteen had to be in there because he's Springsteen. But oh yeah, let Les Paul. You know. Oh um, yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, so yeah, was, I'm honored to be in there too. Uh, yeah, I must have had a good night when the, when whoever did it saw me. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, awesome. And you know, you guys, you guys do get a lot of support from fans for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you know, you, you never say never. It may happen one day. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if it's, uh, you know, it's well known that we influenced Kurt Cobain. You know, mm -hmm. he, he loved our first album and we did a single, um, a promo single. Well, before we lost our, our record deal to Capitol, uh, Butch Vig was going to produce us. And so to kind of test them out, we did a, a promo single, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm -hmm. And he was telling, so I got to meet him and he said, you know, that um, in the studio for Nevermind, they were A being the, my guitar sound and they were trying to, Kurt was trying to capture my guitar sound. So, you know, that's very, uh, wow. it's, um, it's, a, it's an honor, you know, it's, a, I'm sad I never got to meet him, you know, but um, wow. yeah. So but you influence a lot of people. Yeah. 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 Very much. Yeah, so. that's that's. Yeah, that's that's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's it's absolutely true. Uh, you know, in, in the pantheon of uh, especially well, New Jersey East Coast, but then just power pop and pop rock and roll, the smithereens are. I mean, that rolls off of people's tongues, and that that you know that that's a, a band that has influenced a lot, and a lot of people love. So, and, and that that lead, what you, Mark, what you were saying leads me to to uh, another question. Sometimes you guys are labeled power pop. Um, how do you feel about that? Because some bands don't really like it. Um, yeah. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. I <laughs> you can call me anything. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, well, some of our stuff is is heavier, and uh, we yeah. have the ballads, and you know, the first album alone is. is uh, um, the uh, bossa nova on there, and uh, there's a, a song that's kind of I'm playing like um, like Chet Atkins, <laughs> you know. Uh, there's so many different influences, you know. Much too much is like a rockabilly song because we, you yeah. know, we love that period too. Yeah. So you know, being labeled as one thing, I don't know. I just prefer to be known as a as a rock and roll group. Well, it's probably it's, uh, a generality. 
Most, you most power pop out, most power pop bands, if you listen to their albums, they're not all power pop. Right, Even right. somebody like Badfinger or the Raspberries, they they certainly have a lot of songs on their albums that you wouldn't call power pop. So right. you know, it's, right. just, it's, it's just a short form for something, really. Yeah, indeed. By the way, um, I, I just listened to to uh, Wish You Were Here the other day, Badfinger. I, yeah. I bought that as a cutout back in the 70s, like when it first came out, like it, it, it didn't, uh, I guess they didn't promote it. I don't know what the hell happened to that. Record. They didn't promote it and they pulled it. Yeah. Yeah. There were all kinds of issues H. between Badfinger's manager and Warner Brothers. And it was right. kind of so like I, an I'll fix you kind of thing. And they, they pulled it. And that's all you sure. could find. The, uh, Warner's pulled it. That's all you could find were cutouts of it. That's how I got it also. I had an I8 track also and vinyl. And uh, there's a song on there called Dennis that um, mm -hmm. at yeah. the, the the end of that just makes me tear up. Oh, my know? God. One it's of my so favorite beautiful. songs ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Indeed. Well, speaking of beautiful, this interview was really beautiful. Um, it, it, it was it was nice and casual and free form, and we love it that way. And we really, really appreciate you being on with us, Jim. It means a that lot. It's my pleasure. Hey, Jim. Fantastic. Uh, fantastic having you here. Nice to talk to you. Uh, best wishes for continued uh, success and and keep rocking live. I, I I know you're coming coming to my area here. I'll definitely be out to a show, so I'll stop and, and say hi. Uh, I will look forward to that. So uh, yeah, please let me know when you're coming out to California because I'll be there for sure. Indeed, indeed. And right. uh, thanks again, my friend. Uh, be happy. Be healthy. And uh, everybody knows to check out uh, officialsmithereens.com. We put that up there for all future information and merchandise and everything smithereens related. So uh, have a great one. Thank you again. Yes. Thank you, Jim. All right. Cheers, guys. Oh, cheers. 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 This is my beet juice. <laughs> See you, Jim. Well, oh, there you go, so David. Uh, ah. Thank you. That was really he's a good down to earth guy, um, as I you know, as we all knew he would be. Well, yeah. night. good, we appreciate yeah. that. Re really nice to talk to uh, talk to somebody of that uh, of that talent uh, level and um, yeah, a band that as you said, you and I both just absolutely love. And oh, yeah, and, uh, that's that's part of what makes material issues so much fun for I think the two of us, besides everybody else watching is that uh, we get to talk to, to people like Jim and, um, and, uh, and, and on a very casual level, you know? Um, yeah, no, we've been blessed and we're going to continue to be blessed over the next few weeks. Yeah. We what are we really coming up Yeah. Well, uh, next week, March 16th, great singer songwriter from the UK uh, wrote hits for the Hollies and Manfred Mann among others uh, like Graham Gouldman. Uh, at, at that time, and like Graham Goldman, he also put out a record. Oh, you're welcome. Um, you're, uh, he also put out a record where he essentially covered his own songs that he had written for other people. Um, and uh, he's still, you know, he's still playing. We had him at IPO Liverpool a few years ago. Really fine gentleman. We're glad to have Mr. Tony Hazard on I'm next good. week. Yeah, I'm really good. well. Yeah. Uh, on the 23rd, we're going to go to New York City with my favorite uh, these days, a uh, female-fronted rock band. Um, 
beautiful women, talented women. We're going to be very glad to have Sly Boots on March 23rd. Very good. Uh, nice. Then on March 30th, we have the drummer for Paul McCartney and for some of the early Wings albums, uh, an American gentleman, but obviously spent a lot of time in the UK and, and other places. He's still, uh, he's still playing drums on a lot of projects, including the recent, you're welcome, uh, <clears throat> including the recent, would love to return to Iceland one day soon. Wow. All right. Um, including the recent Ram On tribute to um, the, the album that he played drums on. Um, we're very, very glad to have Mr. Denny Sywell coming up on uh, March 30th. Yes. Um, and let's see, what do we have here? April 6th, we're going to move into our baseball segment of material issues, only this guy's also a musician. Um, Cy Young Award winner, really great pitcher. And um, actually, really nice, um, really nice guitar. Uh, uh, what a uh, really nice gentleman and a very interesting one. Uh, Black Jack McDowell. Um, That's going to be yeah. Six. And That's then good. April 13th, we're going to stay with baseball. A uh, guy who played for the Rangers and the Yankees, among others. He uh, he became a Yankees announcer. Very good one. Um, and. Uh, we're going to be glad to have Mr. Billy Sample on April 13th. And uh, yeah, that, baseball season starts starts in. We're going to be well, covering cool things. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have some baseball. It's been yeah. tough, you know, with the uh, with, with the talks not really going anywhere. I yeah. mean, when they when they're talking about you know the two the the two sides settling on bigger bases, uh, then you know we're in trouble. <laughs> because the major issues they're still really far apart on and we've got to figure out something we're you know we've got to have baseball oh thank you thank you yeah indeed. anyway we're working we've got uh, some irons in the fire both mark and i and um hopefully some of those will come to fruition really soon so we can announce them but you can be sure we're going to have some great guests after yep. the ones we've already had scheduled so hopefully you'll continue to tune in Everyone, yeah. thank and you tell so your much friends. for tuning in today. It was a really great time. Yep, and tell your friends to come here to Material Issues mm -hmm. on Facebook and join because uh, you can watch all the archives here or over on, on YouTube is materialissues.com. You can join there as well and, and see all the past 42 shows that we've done. Um, Amazing, they're all there. So, we thank you for uh, we thank you for joining us and and uh, keeping this as fun as it has been. Um, yes, next week will be episode 43, which is sh the, the most Sheldon Cooper ever did have khaki sack. I'm <laughs> still a nerd. Once and a we nerd might, even, might even show our watches again. There's my new yeah. Tufina Yurima. Well, <laughs> I'll have a different one next week. I think Mark will, too. So. Indeed. <laughs> anyway, Mark, always fun. And uh, have a great rest of your night. And, All right. Uh, we'll see you next week. And everybody, thanks again. Good night, everybody. Have a great one.